Hello and welcome to episode 83 of Pay-Per-View, in which I review the news in the papers and place events and headlines into their true context. And the first subject this week is aliens. I know, not a subject I usually cover in this podcast, but this new book goes into some <laughs> weird and wonderful areas, and I was uh, very interested to see this article. So this is in the Daily Star, so it doesn't go much beyond the surface, but this is what it says. The far reaches of deep space will be explored on Horizon and BBC 2 at 8pm. Well, of that programme's already gone out by now. Coming just as the recent telescope launch gripped the scientific world. When the James Webb telescopes first announced decades ago, astronomers were giddy over the prospects of what it could teach us about space. Already it has taken some mesmerising pictures of nebulous star systems and distant galaxies. I've seen some of these images. They are incredible. Amazing. It has the ability to glimpse into the origins of the universe itself, revealing the moments after the Big Bang. Well, for reasons I explained in the new book, I say there was no Big Bang. Anyway, however, it can also finally give humanity an answer to the ultimate question. The only questions that really matter, are we alone in the universe? It comes as scientists have discovered a mysterious new signal pulsating in space. The radio birds don't follow any pattern that is currently understood. This strange new signal is coming from a distant galaxy with it blasting radio energy in a pattern that scientists describe as a heartbeat. It is still unknown what exactly is causing the radio blast, but it is unusual in the fact that the bursts are separated by three seconds instead of three milliseconds, which is typically observed. Danielle Michili, a postdoc at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Kavli Institute for Astrophysics and Space Research, said there are not many things in the universe that emit strictly periodic signals. Examples that we know of in our own galaxy are radio pulsars and magnetars, which rotate and produce a beamed emission similar to a lighthouse. And we think this new signal could be a magnetar or pulsar on steroids. The article continues, it seems it is most likely some natural event that is currently not understood, but don't lose hope as the recent launch of James Webb could provide the answers on intelligent life. Could the James Webb telescope detect alien life? Uh, the James Webb telescope is not just taking pictures in space, but it is also analysing the chemical compounds of interstellar objects. Regarding the launch of the telescope, University of Washington astronomer Joshua Chrysanthus and Potton said, we could do these live detection observ observations in the next few years. These observations are done by looking at the biosignatures in the atmosphere around planets. The simple explanation is that humanity has altered the atmosphere on Earth and there hope to be other life out there may have done the same or similar to their own worlds. If the telescope brings back readings of atmospheres that down correlate to our current understanding, of a natural atmosphere, then it could mean life is out there on one of those big rocks waiting for us. Well, I've talked in this podcast before about the fact that the electromagnetic spectrum, the light spectrum, which encompasses light waves, radio waves, x-rays and more, compared with the estimated size of the universe according to conventional science is 0.005%. Some say 0.5%. But either way, it's a tiny fractional figure. And visible light, in other words, the visible part of that electromagnetic spectrum is a fraction of the 0.05%. Also, every second, we are receiving around 11 million photons, the smallest unit of light. And the brain takes just 40 of them to construct our visual reality. So when people say, well, I can't see aliens, well, you can't see hardly anything. I've also said in this podcast that there is an agenda to create a fake alien invasion to justify centralised global power and control, which is exactly what the cult plans for the world. The cult, in the deeper levels of the intelligence military networks, they have technology that could make, that could appear to be a flying saucer and holographic technology 
So we need to be very careful when any apparent alien invasion happens and be aware that there are massive agenda benefits, including a world government to and a world army to fight the threat. There are massive agenda goals to be realized on the back of a supposed alien invasion. And the next subject this week is smart meters. This is in the Daily Express. Smart meter fury. Millions of devices rendered utterly useless. Inaccurate readings grow. With energy prices soaring in the past few months, thousands of Brits have turned to smart meters to help manage spending. But users across the UK are reporting inaccurate readings to their suppliers, causing them to manually take readings instead. John Linton. 79, a retired IT consultant from Buckinghamshire, lodged a complaint against British Gas after accusing them of not giving him accurate readings on his app and display. He said, I was told that monitors are deemed to be an add-on and British Gas will not replace them free of charge after 12 months. This is contrary to Ofgem's website, which states that meters, including displays, are paid for through the energy bill and will not be charged for separately. The actual meter is utterly useless without the monitor, especially because in my case it is high up in a dark cupboard. And 79, I am not keen on using a step ladder and torch every time I want to check on things. Using the British Gas website is equally impossible. British Gas responded by saying John's readings were accurate and that the company was working remotely to fix his display. Similarly, Rachel Humes, 47, a retired senior manager, complained her meter in Stockport is not sending correct readings to the digital display in her home, meaning it is impossible for her to know how much money she is spending. British Gas told Rachel that as her smart meter was sending details to the supplier, she was not entitled to a replacement display because it had been installed by a different supplier. Ofgem, the regulator, said energy suppliers are responsible for enduring, ensuring even the digital displays provide accurate information about consumers' energy consumption and their current tariff. There are no clear guidelines as to what responsibility suppliers have if customers run up bigger energy bills because the display is wrong. The government said smart meters are modernizing energy for millions of consumers and providing households with near real-time information which they are using to manage their energy use and save money on their bills. Energy suppliers are responsible for ensuring the tariff information displayed on a customer's in-home display aligns with the tariff they are billed on. Retired couple Diane James, 73, and husband Michael, 69, complained they are unable to read their smart meter. Diana said, I was hoping to see how costs would change when the cap rose, but the meter just couldn't cope what a dog's dinner it all is. Another consumer having difficulties with smart meters is Alan Barnes, 75, who had his meter installed in 2019 by Shell. He claims he has never been able to see his uses because of a weak mobile phone signal that means the monitor and the meter cannot communicate with each other. Barnes from Hartlepool said, towards the end of 2021, I contacted Shell again, only to be told that part of the problem is that we live in an area with no or very low signal. It also said that it was a problem that affected all suppliers. I find it difficult to believe that this part of Hartlepool is in an area with problem signal levels. I also find it hard to believe that an IT communications problem can take more than 18 months to resolve, so I suspect that it is either insoluble or that no effort is going into its resolution. Shell apologised and said, following further investigation, we have successfully restored communication with the electricity meter. The gas meter remains uncommunicative, so we have arranged with Mr Barnes for an engineer to visit the property to explore this further. 
Smart meters are still being rolled out despite all their limitations and the problems they cause because smart meters are part of the cult's agenda, so the shortcoming of smart meters are overlooked. Smart motorways with no hard shoulder mean drivers can be, and are, hit by other cars when before they would pull over to the hard shoulder and wait for assistance are also part of the cult's agenda because they're preparing the ground, literally in this case, for driverless cars, which will take you nowhere authority doesn't want you to go, which is the real reason for driverless cars. As I've said many times before, society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. It's not what's best for people that drives decision-making and the direction of society. It's what's best for the cult's agenda. I've talked about smart meters before in, in this podcast. Smart meters are part of a planned smart grid involving all smart technology communicating with other smart technology. And in the end, the global smart grid, which is planned to be run by artificial intelligence and the human mind is planned to be connected to the smart grid, also therefore controlled by AI. I talk in this new book about what AI really is. I've talked about the health consequences of smart meters before, the consequences of the electromagnetic distorted radiation fields and waves that are emitted from smart meters. So I won't repeat it now, but I'll go into it in pay-per-view in print. And if humanity is going to have any chance of overturning the nightmare plan for this world, then rejecting smart meters is a necessary step. And the next subject this week is climate change. This is in The Guardian. Patrick Valance has warned MPs that the world is about to be plunged into even deeper turmoil than it was during the COVID pandemic, which it wasn't at all except for the response to it because of the impact of climate change, which is not caused by humans. The government's chief scientist and is massively overplayed. The government's chief scientific advisor gave an emergency briefing to 70 parliamentarians this week, warning of the dangers of the climate crisis and urging them to act. He was joined by Professor Stephen Belcher from the Met Office, Professor Anthony Schuckberg from Cambridge Zero, and Professor Gideon Henderson, the chief scientific advisor at the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. All of them showed MPs slides like the ones they perhaps became used to during the COVID lockdowns. Valance warned MPs. We've had two and a half years of a global crisis in the form of a pandemic. No, in the response to a pandemic that didn't exist, in truth, but he said a pandemic. We face 50 years of really big problems related to climate and the nature of that threat to countries around the world means that this has to be one of the things that has to be on every government's agenda. There is no way we can pretend it is not happening. Well, we can pretend that it's not caused by humans because it's not. And the extent of it, like I say, is massively exaggerated. While the scientists made no political recommendations as they were there simply to present the science, they told MPs that the action is needed now to stop the worst effects of the climate emergency. They give three observational facts. The world is warmer than it was, the CO2 levels in the atmosphere are higher than they've ever been, and the extreme weather events are more common than before all this happened. That's what we face, and the aim of this briefing is to speak about the science balance set. The slides are similar to those shown to Boris Johnson before COP26 by Valance, which the Prime Minister said was his road to Damascus moment on climate change. Belcher's data from the Met Office makes for uncomfortable reading, showing that widespread changes in the ocean, cryosphere and biosphere have occurred since the emergence of 
Homo sapiens. The charts in his slides dramatically make that point. He also showed that Arctic sea ice cover is reduced by every by 12 every decade, and in 40 years we can have lost enough to cover an area greater than India, Bhutan, and Bangladesh combined. He also drew attention to recent extreme weather events in the US, Europe, and Bangladesh to show that the effects of climate change are already being felt with the worst predicted to come. Well, in the new book, I look at some of these alarmist claims about climate change and show that actually they're the very opposite in truth of of what is claimed uh, in terms of what's actually happening. Chuck Gross' messages were slightly more upbeat, showing how emissions could be reduced while increasing GDP. However, it also showed that while we've made some progress, emissions need to be reduced more quickly in a wider variety of sectors to reach net zero. This includes surface transport and buildings as a priority. Henderson gave his presentation even more relevance by drawing attention to the predicted heat wave, where temperatures could hit record highs in coming days. Of course, we've experienced that. He focused on the threats from extreme weather and how we could hit food production by increasing issues including potato blight and livestock thermal heat stress. The briefing also showed parliamentarians that the way we currently lead our lives is going to have to change as new technologies to remove carbon from the atmosphere are not going to be enough to offset emissions in time. Balanced war and technology is going to be an important part of dealing with this, but it is not a magic solution and is not going to deal with it on its own. If you take 2050, any technology you can't see already working is not going to save our bacon because of the scale at which these things need to be introduced. The briefing was arranged after the activist Angus Rome staged the 37-day hunger strike outside Parliament calling for the information to be given to all MPs. He was backed by 79 of the UK's leading climate scientists in an April letter who said a briefing similar to those given during the covid pandemic would be useful to MPs. Patrick Valance has moved seamlessly to scanning the country to justify the cult's agenda in relation to the COVID host to doing the same in relation to human-caused climate change. As I show very clearly in my first book, Paper View in Print, Human-Caused Climate Change is a global hoax as big as the planet is designed to be used to transform in the image of the cult's agenda. Carbon dioxide is vitally important to life and as I show in pay-per-view in print it's very clear that that far from having too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere we don't have enough when you look at the optimum amount of carbon dioxide necessary for plant growth and the natural world to thrive and here's Valence talking about technology being used to suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere which his mate Bill super psychopath Gates is funding the article the article I just read mentions technology to help us deal with the so-called climate crisis. And I'm not saying the climate's not changing. Of course it is. It's always changing. That's what planetary climates do naturally. I'm saying it's not a climate crisis and it's not caused by humans. Free energy technology, which harnesses the natural energy grid of the planet to create usable warmth and power for free once it's set up, has existed for decades. Well... Governments and organizations like the United Nations, set up by the cult, claim the world must change in the image of the cult's agenda. Totalitarian fascist control of the fine detail of people's lives. And creating a technological control grid, both of which I explain in the books, especially this new book. Another key point, cold weather kills far more people than hot weather. Each year in England and Wales, there were on average nearly 800 excess deaths associated with heat and over 60,500 associated with cold between 2000 and 2019, according to a new study published in the Lancet Planetary Health. And 100,000 people die from cold in the United States and 13,000 in Canada. 
more than 40 cold deaths for every heat death. Asthma UK say that cold weather can cause airways to become inflamed, causing symptoms such as coughing, wheezing and struggling to breathe, while the American Lung Association say on their website, cold weather, particularly cold air, can also play havoc with your lungs and health. Cold air is often dry air, and for many, especially those with chronic lung disease, that can spell trouble. That can spell trouble. Dry air can irritate the airways of people with lung diseases. This can lead to wheezing, coughing, and shortness of breath. A study by researchers from Sweden, from Lund University in Sweden, found that the average number of heart attacks per day was significantly higher during spells of cold weather. On a day-to-day basis, this translated to four more heart attacks per day when the average temperature is below zero. The explanation is that the body responds to feeling cold by restricting superficial blood vessels, which decreases how warm the skin is and increases blood flow through the arteries. The body also begins to shiver and your heart rate increases to keep you warm, and these responses can add extra stress on your heart. During winter, indoor air often becomes dry. Cold air, which carries less moisture than warm air, enters the house and is heated, lowering its relative humidity. Low humidity can also occur in arid climates during the summer as a result of excessive air conditioning which removes moisture from the air as it operates. Low humidity inflames and dries out the mucous membrane aligning the respiratory tract. Nasal congestion is related to the humidity and temperature of the inhaled air. Low humidity can create a feeling of nasal congestion as a result of dried out and irritated sinus membranes. So the question is where is the outrage about that? Where are the global efforts to stop people dying of cold? Elderly people often can't afford food and heating and have a choice between being fed or being warm because they can't afford both at the same time. Now we have a situation where the money hosed the COVID hopes and the sanctions against Russia, which are actually targeting the West, not Russia, and climate change policies impacted the global supply chain and driven up energy prices. Russia is the biggest exporter of oil and gas in the world. The human-caused climate change hopes is shut down. Pipelines have stopped investment in carbon-based fuel. Coal use is also stopped, and this impacts the ability of the West to be self-sufficient. Biden targeting the main artery of the Russian economy is targeting the main artery of the American economy. Banning Russian oil and gas drives the price higher in the West. Russia has China watching its back energy-wise. We're seeing a long-planned destruction of the West so that a new system, the cult's agenda, can take it, the cult's agenda can take its place. This is the cultural reset, the Great Reset, the people like Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum are talking about. This whole situation means even more people are going to die from the cold this winter, on top of the thousands that normally die. And where are the environmentalists in Extinction Rebellion? Exactly. And the final subject this week is masks. This is in the Daily Mail. The astonishing data that may prove Masks don't work as COVID cases in Singapore and New Zealand overtake Australia despite super strict mandates. New data shows COVID cases in Singapore and New Zealand have overtaken Australia in the latest Omicron wave despite ultra-strict mask mandates. Masks are worn everywhere in the densely populated Asian city while New Zealanders are forced to wear them in all indoor public places, such as shopping centres and libraries. These figures appear to smash the push now on in Australia for a return to mask mandates, which are currently compulsory only on public transport and in aged care and healthcare centres. 
since Australian mandates began to ease last October, per capita case numbers in Singapore exceeded, matched or lagged behind Australia before rising ahead again. In New Zealand, case numbers were six weeks behind Australia's Omicron wave in January, but since February they have matched or exceeded Australia. Death rates in New Zealand also overtook Australia per capita at the start of March, despite the Kiwis being on the highest code red mask mandate restrictions and have stayed high ever since. In Singapore, death rates dropped below Australia in April after racing ahead between October and Christmas, but are now surging wildly and are set to overtake Australia once more. The Singapore findings were shared on Twitter by Australian National University Infectious Disease Professor Peter Collinon as debate rages on the need for masks. The post, originally made by a Singapore resident, added Singapore has never dropped its mask mandates. Masks are required indoors at all times. Australians are not wearing masks much at all. Let's compare the data. Next to a graph of the statistics, he added, it doesn't matter. The data has been revealed as Victorian children over the age of eight are now asked to wear a mask in classrooms until the end of winter and a spike in cases. Obviously, the parents are not kicking up enough of a fuss. For that not to be the case. The article continues, the state government has insisted the new advice is not a mask mandate with students encouraged to wear a mask indoors and on public transport. Parents have described, some parents have described the new rules as a mandate by stealth, but former Labour leader Bill Shorten said kids should be encouraged to wear masks where possible. We've had 300 days of homeschooling and the schools closed, he told Karl Stefanovic during an appearance on the Today Show on Tuesday morning. To me, it's a no-brainer. Do you want your child sick at home or do you want them running around wearing a mask? The father of one said. Oh, they won't be sick at home from catching a virus because there is no virus. The article continues. New South Wales and Victorian health ministers have both so far resisted the growing cause for a return to mask mandates, but critics say the looming state elections in October and November are the main reason behind any delay in bringing them back. The new figures come, as it was revealed, the median age of those dying from COVID in Australia is now 83 years old, the same age as the nation's average life expectancy. So, by the median age, people are dying, or can die, officially, if you believe in the virus, at the same age that they're expected to live to anyway. Right, that's this deadly virus. The Federal Health Department's latest COVID report explodes the myths being used to drive Australian authorities to reintroduce mass mandates to continue having COVID cases isolate for seven days. The data comes as St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney said they have just one or two patients in ICU, with top doctors confirming the winter wave is far less severe than those who have previously hit Australia. We certainly don't have many confirmed a hospital spokesman on Monday. It's not presenting so much on the very acute side where patients need ventilation. The vast majority of those who have caught COVID are under 50, with 3.1 million cases so far, just 293 people under 50 have died of the virus since the pandemic began. The statistics show that since Australia's mass vaccination rollout began, those under 50 face a less than 1 in 10,000 chance of dying from COVID. The median age of all those infected is 31, but the median age of those who died is 83, the latest Federal Health Department 
coronavirus at a glance report states. Australia's average life expectancy is 82.9 years of age. Most killed by COVID were men over 70 and women over 80, accounting for 7,585 deaths out of the national total virus death toll of 10,582. And even if COVID breaks out among elderly, frail residents in aged care homes, more than 95% of those affected will survive. So of those who died, A, they're elderly, and B, was there anything else that caused their deaths? I talk in the new book about the Midazolam scandal, or Remdesivir scandal, and there's other drugs that were used in Italy and other countries uh, that was responsible for the deaths of elderly people in care homes. Murder. State euthanasia, as I described in the new book. Uh, the article continues. Of the 63,875 who caught COVID in Australian aged care centres, 60,771 recovered, with less than 1 in 20 of the infected residents dying for a tragic toll of 3,104. New South Wales Premier Don Perrottet admitted on Monday that the current flu wave was now a bigger threat than COVID. Another virus never shown to exist, just like all the others. As I show in the new book, I take apart virus theory in the new book. Some people say COVID was the flu. Uh, well, that's a bit difficult when neither have been shown to exist. Colds, flus have never been shown to exist any more than SARS-CoV-2, the COVID virus, alleged virus. So it can't have been the flu either. It was nothing. At the moment, uh, the article continues, at the moment, the current strand of influenza is more severe than the current strands of COVID-2 GB. As we move through the next phase of the pandemic, we need to balance out the competing health issues, he said. The official figures come as pressure grows for a return to compulsory masks ahead of a feared new outbreak of the virulent new Omicron sub-variants BA.4 and BA.5. I show in the new book how the variants are nothing more than a computer-generated creation. Doomsday modelling by the Burnett Institute for the New South Wales Government last year said the state's health system could cope with up to 947 COVID patients in ICU, but New South Wales currently has just 64 COVID cases in ICU across the state, with only 13 on ventilators according to New South Wales Health. The stats have also destroyed claims that Omicron superinfectious with infection rates staying consistent all year long. Australia's Omicron BA.1 and BA.2 outbreak, which started in January, coincided with the end of most mask mandates and lockdown restrictions. Omicron's BA.2's the government's mass double jab vaccination program, taken up by 95% of the population, have played a huge part in controlling the spread of the virus. Evidence for that? Evidence for that? Evidence for that? But the subsequent third booster shot program has been less successful with just a 71% take up as work now starts on encouraging a fourth jab. Which is planned anyway, regardless of what happens. Queensland Premier Anastasia Pl 
Anastasia Palachuk has urged students and children to mask up in schools, while New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell also flagged the return of masks in class. New South Wales schools have suffered a 30% rise in staff shortages through sickness as a result of COVID and flu this year, Ms Mitchell said. COVID vaccine? We are absolutely feeling the pressure. There's no question of that, she admitted. Why has there been a reduction in staff shortages? Could the vaccine have had anything to do with that? Oh, no, no, it's safe and effective. Yeah, well, I destroyed that myth in the new book as well. Victoria Chief Health Officer Ben Cowie told the state government to bring back masks, but the advice was rejected by State Health Minister Marianne Thomas. I made a decision based on the advice that I had received that further man from where... That, uh, that further mandating masks was not the most effective way to get the message out about the importance of mask wearing, she said. South Australia would need to declare another state emergency, the article continues, after allowing the last announcement to expire before they could issue any new mask mandate. Federal Health Minister Mark Butler also said, says it is unlikely the government will enforce compulsory masks, but urged people to wear them in public and to work from home where possible. But Deakin University professor Catherine Bennett insists compulsory masks will ease the coming COVID wave and also play a major psychological role. They will play a major psychological role uh, in uh, negatively impacting psychology, as I talk about in the new book. When you put a mask on, it's a reminder that things aren't quite normal. It reinforces behaviours like taking a step back from other people, she told Seven Western Media. The mask could be the thing that also helps us stay mindful of those other things and stay that bit safer. So all psychology, that's what's, dri that's what's driven this pandemic hopes psychology, as I show in the new book. The stats also revealed New South Wales has had the most COVID cases in Australia. Uh, the nation has also just passed the 75 75 million milestone for the number of COVID test results since the pandemic began, almost three each for every single person. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but all this talk about the figures and the infection numbers and all that are irrelevant because they come from a test that cannot test for a virus, as I show in detail in the new book. The mainstream media now report on astonishing data proving masks don't work. Why didn't they report on this at the time? I talk about masks extensively in the new book, as I talk about lockdown, social distancing, testing, the COVID, fake vaccine, all of it. I say fake vaccine because it doesn't meet the criteria. It doesn't stop transmission or infection. The data and information proving masks are useless was available from 2020 onwards, even before. Viral particles can only be seen under an electron microscope. And the holes in the mask are much bigger than viral particles. There never has been a COVID virus. As I've been saying since spring 2020 in this podcast, and I detail extensively in this new book. Therefore, there cannot be any science to justify any policy. And study after study after study concludes that masks are useless, even if there was a even if there was a virus. And the reason people wore masks is because they did no research of their own into masks or they were too afraid of authority or their boss at work to refuse to wear them. If they did know, they're useless. Fear and ignorance, that's the problem. Knowing the power we have collectively if we come together because we outnumber those imposing and enforcing the fascism. 
those who can see humanity as being manipulated, that is, and questioning everything, that's the answer. The solution is so simple, it's just a matter of doing it. So, that's it for this week. That's the news, that's the context and connections, that's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.